This is The Huddle Podcast, and I'm your host, Mark Stolo. Today I'm talking with Gina Ertheva. Gina is India's first conscious music artist. She is a transformational coach, TEDx speaker, and well-being innovator. She uses music-driven, transformative techniques and hypnotic neurolinguistics integrated with the five senses to help people recode their reality for more satisfied living. She is a world leader in the musical application of mental space psychology. Gina went through a massive inner transformation when she lost her voice at the peak of her successful singing career. When a mentor suggested she transform the life state of humankind, she became driven to find a musically inspired solution for all those who were suffering from the gripping darkness of depression, anxiety, insomnia, and low self-worth. We talk about that personal and professional transition and the power of music to recode the mind. So you were um, an aspiring singer making your career with your voice and then your voice went away. That's a pretty dramatic turn of events, you know, in the scheme of things. Your craft is your voice and then the universe says, I'm going to mute that one instrument that you have that's supposed to be the mainstay of your work and your profession and your passion. And then you go on a journey to try to make sense of this and then you meet a mentor who doesn't suggest to you do some exercises or eat differently or, I don't know, start yoga. That mentor invites you to transform the life state of humankind as a consequence of this change in your life. Give people a snapshot of what that experience was like and what that invitation by your mentor meant to you. So when I read that line in the midst of that situation, when I was not just physically not able to sing, my mind was also completely shutting down. And when I read that line, the first response was, oh, it's so beautiful. But then I got really depressed, even more depressed than I was after reading that line. It wasn't like um, a line that inspired me in one go. It was a beautiful line. I could observe that it's a beautiful line. It would be wonderful to do such a thing, but I couldn't feel anything with it because the only thing I felt at that time after reading it was even more negative because I realized that I could not even handle my own life state and thereby trying to elevate and transform the life state of the whole of humanity would be completely something that I cannot even imagine. And it made me feel worthless at that point. But... Um, this line stayed with me. I tried to forget it. <laughs> I tried to forget it so I didn't have to get more depressed. But it stayed with me. And it just stayed with me even probably even when I was sleeping. So every morning I would wake up and somehow it would play like a music loop in my head, transforming the life state of humankind, transform the life state of humankind. And then it got to a point where that internal discomfort of hearing that line from my inner voice, I just wanted to beat that discomfort. And the only way to do that was to just do anything. Just, you know, open my computer, try to make some music. Try, singing was out of the question. So I was trying to make some music, which I had no clue about. But I just knew that I had to transform the life state of humankind. And that was the beginning. Then uh, what happened was crazy. I was just able to find unconventional, really wacky, 
in a way, crazy ways of approaching music production because I had never been trained in it and I didn't have the money or the resources at the time to go and learn from someone or course or something. So I went at it in my own way and that showed me a way of using sound and music with emotional association and then it became a structure of what now I use for well-being and personal transformation using music. So yeah, it was craziness with my computer and my music software (laughs) to come up with this, yeah. Yeah, it's interesting how you transformed an Achilles heel into an opportunity which seems to be the hallmark of great transformational coaches. They find ways to, some people call it post-traumatic growth, is how do you take this moment of deep, deep adversity and not just come back to a baseline, but use it as a propellant. So on the one hand, your craft was kind of taken away from you when you lost your voice. And then this invitation by your mentor seeded something in you. And then you then turned your craft into something that you could really bring to the world and, and transform the life state of the world which is amazing i want to talk about just music code and what that is so most people can understand music that that's the the simpler part of the equation what's the what's the what's the conscious coding part can you help people understand what happens when you put consciousness and music and coding together so I had my master's in computer science, which the way the world looks at it, and I never used it to get a job, so I didn't use it in that sense. But I use it in the coding that I do, both for the, to make the music and to code human minds. So there is that coding aspect, which I, I was always drawn to. Then there's the music aspect, which is my natural form of expressing. And then there's the conscious and consciousness aspect. But before I go into what it is and how I combined it, I just want to say that this transforming the life state of humankind, that's the line that I used to elevate my own self. This happened only because the problem, the feeling of being trapped in that problem of losing my voice was itself the reason why I was able to walk down that path of transforming the life state of humankind. So I'm extremely grateful to that feeling of being trapped because that's when I was pushed against the wall to discover something that I always say it's a discovery or I stumbled upon it. So this conscious music code is just the idea that music by itself is very powerful in coding and programming us and we don't realize it so much because we we're not so conscious about how we're consuming music so like our musical diet is not created consciously so we just select a playlist and we we like a few songs and we just consume it or i mean listen to it and over a period of time if we keep listening to that kind of music our belief systems our emotional habits all of that gets aligned with those of the songs whatever was the message of the song and so i realized that we have to be conscious about what we consume because in computer language we say garbage in garbage out so there's no need to feed garbage into my system when i know that i would have a garbage out garbage like output in terms of my emotions so that was one thing that was the realization that we got to be conscious about how we consume music then the next part was we know music affects us and there's a lot of science and research on certain frequencies and sounds that affect us a certain way but very little research was being done on the aspect of how we associate with sound. So a beautiful sound, which is beautiful to me, could be extremely 
terrifying to you so or a, a sound that is cacophony to you could be intense and powerful for me i started testing it out with people the concept of it and i it seemed like such a normal and simple thing but it seemed like people were not so aware of this aspect of sound and music healing and then i took this took steps in this direction and i found that i could ask people to consciously associate certain emotions or certain thoughts or certain visuals and even sensory memory with certain kinds of sounds and once they can attach that memory or that thought or that emotion with that sound they can choose to manipulate and program their own minds and their own emotions using that sound as just a tool so conscious music code essentially is coding your entire inner world using music consciously so it's a simplified way of saying it but i need to whenever i do these sessions i need to use technical aspect of my computer science knowledge and then the musical aspect and then my spiritual and consciousness all together and that's actually who i am and that's translated into a structure over eight years and now yeah and there's a lot of spiritual tradition transformative traditions that are very anchored in a musical experience one that just comes to top of mind you know the tibetan buddhists use music and chanting very deliberately in their transformational experience the vibrational quality even the the expression om which is quite prevalent across the hindu tradition is yes. been kind of explored as a kind of a cosmic sound vibration that you know Absolutely. that supports a shift in consciousness when you move yes. through the full breadth of that sound which is why it's also used in breathing practice yes. or in sitting practice in the journey that you explore through huddle you take an approach of inviting people to visit with their inner child obviously there's been a lot of conversation particularly in psychological theory in modern psychological yes. theory about this idea of the inner child uh you know freud was probably one of the big pioneers in that space and talked about, yes. you know, unexpressed or unconscious wishes that can dominate our lives. Yes. yes. Talk about that first. When we talk about the inner child in the context of this journey, who are we talking about? There are many ways to define the inner child. For me, it's very simple. It's the part of you that's never going to grow up. It's the part of you that's always there as a child and it's innocent. It could be spoiled. it could be cute it could be wounded it could be happy it could be terribly traumatized it could be all of those things in combination or some of those things but it's the part of us that hasn't grown up and will never grow up and i think it's just all that emotional data within us in our emotional world but the part that is connected to our younger selves so it's the way i put it but the interesting thing in my experience of uh, exploring the inner child of my own self and others with music was that when i ask questions to people to trigger that part of them which is really hidden or sometimes even neglected really the subconscious and then get to the inner child aspect of it then i noticed that people give a certain kind of answers and then i play the music i consciously trigger them with music and ask the same question and the answer changes and it that's what showed me that with this music i was able to reach much deeper layers of their consciousness and awareness and their emotions and, and they were much more authentic and honest 
And then my work with the inner child exploration just got more and more intense. And that's why I discussed that with you and we brought it into Huddle. Yeah, it was fascinating to just create that journey as well with music. I think a good analogy for the inner child is like thinking about it a little bit like psychic residue or the things that you leave behind. All of us have a past. To your earlier point, that past can be mired in beauty. It can be mired in things that were quite ugly and unpleasant. And and oftentimes is a blend of all of that. And that psychic residue can be having a very, very strong presence in our present moment experience. That's why we need to do this work. <laughs> right. The integration work. So we talk about integration. So there's psychic fragmentation and psychic integration. Yes. So fragmentation is feeling like you're a collection of broken pieces or there are these broken pieces and they're strewn all over the place. And of course, they're messy as, as, any, as any strewning experience would be. And not only are they present, but they're impacting your present moment. They're impacting your feelings, how you relate to others, how you relate to yourself, how you self-perceive. Everything. Yeah. The internal narrative. That's essentially that internal narrative that is shaping your life. You say in this journey, it's like having a five-year-old version of you living out your adult life. Yeah. Yeah. And literally controlling your adult life. And you don't even realize that that's where you're operating from. It's funny how every situation we encounter, we I, I, I'm starting to believe that almost 100% of our responses is coming from the way our inner child feels. So how we respond to the world is exactly how the inner child wants to respond to the world. Not how I, in my adult, very mature, intellectually mature version, will result, respond to the world. I think it's it's my undefined not so clear emotional response from the inner child that's governing my relationships and not just the relationships with people but the relationship with my own self mm-hmm. and that gets tricky because if we don't even realize that this is happening we don't know where to look and we try to find the solution in the outer world or even in the inner world but with our intellectual minds So we're thinking that we're going to find the solution to our responses to the outer world. So I keep saying that we're sometimes trying to control our mind to feel peaceful. We're trying to force our minds to feel less irritated when someone's triggering me. So I can't force my mind to not feel irritated. I have to know where it's coming from. And without that observation and that transformation and then the integration of all these things, I will forever be stuck in that loop of trying to find answers. Inner child for me is like the key. And the key to that is music. So there's a key of the key. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, trying to use the mind to calm the mind is like trying to hire a monkey to package bananas. Exactly. (laughs) I love that. I love that. um, That's that's probably not going to have a very productive ending. But it's interesting because there is a whole genre of you know personal development methods that are about you know kind of using the mind to reorient the mind which is which obviously can create a very very vicious cycle as anyone who's yeah if you spent any time with your mind you know it's a very unruly place It, it just yes it is very the mind is just an unruly place that's just the nature of mind it's very active constantly moving likes to jump around constantly problem solving making problems yeah, yeah. trying to solve problems um it's it's and it's a brilliant device in that sense uh but we also have to recognize its limits it has limits to what we can ask it to do again a monkey is a beautiful exactly. animal but 
I don't want it running my banana factory. Right, exactly. And, and then that, that aspect of unruliness and trying to discipline the mind, it's important to discipline the mind. But if we try to discipline the mind by trying to discipline the mind from the upper layer, let's say, if we're going to try to discipline the mind just superficially, then it's not disciplining the mind, it's suppressing things. And then in my life, at least, the reason I lost my voice and the reason that the doctors could not find a solution for three years is because it was a result of endless suppression in the name of disciplining my mind. And it's very dangerous when people do that because there's, they're telling themselves, I must not be angry. I must not be sad because I I must not be. So there is no such thing as <laughs> like... Um, Okay, you must not be sad, but then the sadness is getting stored in some part of your liver or your kidney or your throat. In my case, it was vocal cords. And it, it just gets toxic. And you think it's gone, but it's not gone. And then it comes out and it affects our health physically and mentally. And we keep telling ourselves, no, no, I I, I was trying to tackle my mind. So there's no such in my lingo, in my way of looking at life, there's no such thing as tackling the mind, but learning to go way beyond or way under or way, how should we put it? Beyond? Uh, deeper. Yeah. Beyond, yeah. Beyond the mind and go to the life level, which is way more, any changes there are way more sustainable. So with music, what I try to do is always open the door to that life level someone can call it the spirit uh, some people call it the unconscious mind whatever you call it i don't care much about the nomenclature but when a person really immerses themselves in the music in my case i use music but one can do it in any way but as long as they immersed in a in something to open up the that inner door then this is like a whole reservoir of elements accessible to you and me to transform anything from anything to anything so it's so powerful and then you don't have to waste your time shouting at your own self and saying (laughs) don't do this don't do that please stop badgering yourself it's not necessary to badger yourself i know there's i used to shout at myself literally like how could i think like this how could i be like that oh my god or or people hire others to shout at them uh, that's, I'm always surprised by that. It's like you're paying someone to shout at you, um, which which is supposed to be cheerleading, but you know can't cheerlead can't cheerlead the mind beyond mind. That the mind is yeah. is what the mind is. We have to understand, Absolutely. you know, the, what is the nature of mind is the the big part of the journey, not the because if you're in a game of controlling mind, you're not going to win that game. Um, no, you're not. It's much much more sophisticated than I think it is. Uh, yeah, totally. Yeah. I like the you know you the thing with music, and obviously you get this in the visual arts as well. Is the nice thing about it is that there's an uncoupling of the discursive mind, that analytical mind, the mind that's yeah. just yeah. endlessly thinks it can think through everything. So what I understand in terms of your process is that music is a way in, right? So we talk about going beyond mind. And then in a way, music is also a way out. So talk about like as tangible as you can make it, because obviously it's highly mm-hmm. experiential. And so the, the words will mm-hmm. be very difficult mm-hmm. to, to pin down, 
you know it's mm -hmm. like like pinning down the wind mm -hmm. i mean it's difficult mm -hmm. <laughs> try to try to sh share and describe what the musical journey invites you into in the moving in and then what it invites you in the moving out so um in this seven day journey that we've created now with the inner child and the music i will go go i will explain uh, the whole of conscious music go through this journey as easily as i can so initially with the music we go in as you rightly put it we go and discover and maybe in medical terms one would say diagnose what's really happening and the thing is you put a distance between you what you think you are and what you truly are or who you truly are so once you have a distance uh, you you can create that distance that's half the job done in terms of observing things so the music lets you do that and i take people through a process to do that and then they observe in this case in this journey we talked about the inner child they observe themselves like um, like a third person like a, like an external entity now while the observation is happening there's also musical elements that is taking them deeper 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 to explore layers that exist there and then the, there's the change work that starts now this is the uncomfortable part so in conscious music code i don't i in fact tell people right from the beginning that this is not about you just sitting and listening and the music healing you no no the music is not going to heal you you are going to heal yourself and the music is just going to be something that you will use as a tool so the greatness is in the in the person and their own inherent ability for transformation but for that transformative ability to be brought out there's going to be discomfort because they're going to have to face layers of themselves that they conveniently avoided and hence the problems in life uh, uh, on that emotional aspect so with the musical so what i do in a very technical way i can say that it's like triggering like certain uh, sounds become earworms for us certain songs become earworms so how do how does that happen it triggers something in us and then we just can't get rid of it it's like even a song you don't like could become a earworm and stay with you and play in your mind especially when you don't want it to <laughs> but it, it happens so let's take that concept and see what i'm doing all i'm doing is triggering something using the music and then sustaining that trigger or helping people anchor that that emotion and the thought with the music and then teaching the mind but also more than the mind teaching the body and the sense organs to perceive whatever it is that we are consciously associating with that trigger so if with that trigger i'm asking you to associate your inner child and one particular incident that happened with you when you were 5 years old then that's what's going to keep coming back to you every time i play that sound so now it's like programmed and that's where the coding is uh, happening that's how the coding is happening so the next time even after you've had a long day i play 3 seconds of that music and the whole incident comes back into your mind and into your body experientially then the next step is if there was a problem in that incident or that uh, that emotion now because it's anchored to the sound when i change the sound i can change the experience so 
that's the next level of, uh, like you can say, debugging in computer language. <laughs> like we debug through the music. And um, the last part is the integration of that change in the body and the senses. But also the interesting part I've noticed, I'm noticing this more these days that even after the sound has stopped and even after days, sometimes when people just remember it in their minds, in the internal speakers of their minds, they're able to play the sound loudly without playing it from a device. They can play it in their minds. And the moment the sound comes back, it brings back everything else that we coded into that person through the sound. Right. So if I coded hope in you right now with the sound of the sea waves or whatever, then every time you remember the sound of the sea waves, you get hopeful feelings. Mm. So initially I tell people to play the sound and practice the mental simulations with the sound. But now I'm noticing that even if they don't really practice with the sound playing from a device, if the initial session was really, really powerful, our mind has a crazy ability to remember all of this if, if it was done well, if the, if the coding happened well right at the beginning. So then people go back into their lives and they don't have to remember that they have an inner child or they don't have to remember that they had to bring back... Um, uh, they had to bring forth self-worth and confidence and put boundaries in their relationships or whatever else that we teach in the journey. They don't have to remember to do that. It's just there. It's there in the cellular memory of, of the body and the senses. And when that happens, we know that we were successful. Right. And if that's not happening, means we're not going into it deep enough and the both from my end, if I was doing this personally in live and with a person, and from the other person's side. So I keep saying uh, in my one-to-one sessions that we have to do this 100% from me, 100% from you. It's never going to be like, oh, I put in 100% of the energy and you are at zero and you just absorb, or you put in 100%, you put in 50% and I do 50%. No, no, it has to be 100, 100. That's the only way this is going to work. So it sounds almost like you're, yeah, yeah, but it sounds story. like you're almost, um, it's almost like a little, a different melody for living. It's a different rhythm through which you experience your life. <clears throat> because if you think about the thoughts and the sensations and the feelings you have, it's, it is like something orchestral. It, it plays a tune. <clears throat> and sometimes that tune is like, you know, a suspense thriller. And sometimes it's like a horror show. And it could be anything else in between. It could be a drama. For some people, it's like a never-ending comedy. That could be a tragic comedy. Could not be. So this idea of almost introducing a new melody into people's lives um, and a new sound that vibrationally makes them feel more at home or connected. I love the, the idea of that. I love the metaphor that you just used about the, the sound, soundtrack of life, actually. Mm -hmm. yeah. The orchestra of life, because the, the times when we are emotionally disturbed is probably because the the orchestra is playing out of tune or out of rhythm, right. <laughs> out of harmony. Yeah. And the, we just or have to bring like that. Or it sounds like the theme, theme track from, from Jaws. 
Like, yeah, exactly. you know, like people have anticipatory anxiety, like the Jaws, oh, the, the, the Jaws theme track would be perfect, yeah. you know. Um, and if you remove uh, the theme no. track from the Jaws, exactly, if you remove the sound, suddenly the movie is not that powerful. Yeah, yeah, it's totally <laughs> it's the true. the sound that makes it. <laughs> totally, totally true. It's funny because I sometimes have a very negative reaction to watching like vivid uh, horror shows and uh, or horror movies and I can turn off the sound and it completely diffuses. So they're very obviously we know that sound is being used to manipulate our experience. Um, so similarly, Absolutely. we can use music to um, find balance. Consciously manipulate it in the right direction. <laughs> right. And I love that. Yeah. The other theme that you, you introduce into this journey, you know, the conscious music code being kind of the, the, the life force of this journey, but you also talk about self-compassion. Why are we also talking about self-compassion in this experience of reconnecting to that inner child? Why is self-compassion so important? Yeah, I mean, the, the music, as I said, is just the tool, but the actual work is all about self-compassion. It's all about... Okay, so let me um, share this from personal experience. So the internal soundtrack of my mind or the internal dialogue narrative is always... It used to always be something like, but you could have done this better or, you know, it is your fault. So what if you had a traumatic experience? You sh you know enough, more than enough to uh, handle this better. And I would do that from the perspective of self-improvement. And there's again that fallacy, you know, we think we're trying to improve ourselves and we're trying to transform ourselves for the better by starting, uh, making this the starting point, this thing of uh, I'm not good, so or I'm broken, uh, I need to be fixed. Um, and that's our starting point for transformation. And there could be nothing more wrong or more uh, <laughs> uh, deluded, at least from my own experience, I can say, I can say this, that I got nowhere by thinking like that. So... When you reverse it and start with the feeling of self-compassion. And why self-compassion? Because you start with the feeling of, or, or with the conviction that there is absolutely nothing wrong with me. There are many things wrong with the way I'm seeing things or think the way the external um, aspect of me is functioning. But there is nothing uh, inherently wrong with me. And if I start, so, you know, this, this is just a, either or situation, one can experiment with both things. If one is really logical, one would try it with both things. Try once with uh, the belief that, okay, there is something wrong with me and I'm trying to fix myself and transform myself. And you also try with this belief that everything is originally perfect and beautiful and all the other layers of imperfection or whatever else that I want to change is just layers on top that I'm wearing, like makeup. And one can just try both these uh, approaches and then anyone who's tried this would see that the second approach works better. And if that works better means we must start with self-compassion, start with the belief that we're complete and beautiful and amazing the way we are. And so if I'm really complete, then I need to appreciate myself for being complete. I need to appreciate and be respectful of myself for being the way I am. And if I am that respectful and appreciative, then obviously I will have compassion for myself. So it's a logical, it's a logical thing that just happens when you think like this. And then with this self-compassion at every moment, if 
I am, if instead of analyzing situations and where I went wrong, if I start with this thing of, okay, I am going to be compassionate with myself and then I'm going to find how I could have done this better. But it's very easy to say this and it's very easy to try and force yourself to feel compassion, but real compassion doesn't happen like that. It's like every moment, it's an every moment practice. So there again, I use music as my hack to help people practice. Uh, but the inner child inside of us, the younger version of us, requires that compassion for us to feel full uh, for us to feel complete in our experience of the world now. So without that, there is there's no way we can move ahead. And then that leads to compassion for others, because if one is compassionate to oneself, then one can be compassionate to others in the true sense. Because many a times we're compassionate to others. We think we're very compassionate to others while we're blaming ourselves. Uh, in my opinion, that's it's not compassion at all, neither for that person or for yourself. So, yeah, it, this journey is all about self, self-acceptance, self-compassion, and then indestructible self-worth. Self-worth that doesn't change with the wind of someone uh, saying something. Over. It's like a mountain. It's not shaken by the wind when that happens. So... And I'm so glad in Huddle we have the seven-day journey concept and not like a (laughs) five-minute, ten-minute journey concept. Um, In five minutes or ten minutes, you can very well introduce the idea, but in the seven-day journey, the way it's broken into reflection and practice, reflection and practice every day, it just gives people, gets people into that rhythm of whatever it is that a mentor is trying to inculcate in my case it was uh, self-compassion yeah so and this was it's also to understand that what we've become has been created through experience and so it's also explored the re-becoming as is also important that we explore through experience um you are not a collection of ideas Um, no those you are a multi-factor sensorial experiential being that's had inordinate numbers of experiences and so the whole transformational experience needs to be experiential there there is not one great idea as we say one magic wand that you tap someone on the head with they're like oh of course that's it i found it <laughs> yes, yes. thank god you said that one thing that that you know um it can inspire but then it has to your point has to really be fully integrated unlock the deep brilliance of you and release old wounds Gina invites you to go on a journey into embracing your inner child and inviting self-compassion.